Hello and welcome to the Last Wicked Podcast. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in to another episode. This week, my co-host Mike had an opportunity to chat with Yash Ja, who is a producer and presenter at ESPN Crickinfo. With the impending 50-over Men's World Cup on the horizon, the two had an insightful conversation on the state of ODI cricket today, its relevance amidst a constantly changing landscape, and its place between the longer and shortest format of the game. They also talk scrap tournaments, dwindling matches, scheduling challenges, and what the future holds for the one-day international format of the game. Yash, thank you so much for joining the Last Wicked podcast. Uh, it's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, first, we wanted to start with yourself and understand your journey. We know you're with ESPN Crick Info now, um, but how did you get into the field of cricket and um, how are you enjoying your current role? So it happened, uh, I mean, more than cricket, it was sports media in general, uh, which uh, I will go with a longer story soon since you've asked for it, but I can summarize it to luck by chance. I did not uh, study media. This is not uh, what my education was in, but I had a I had half a mind. I was not a very certain college kid about what I want to do in life. Uh, but I decided I took up a few internships while I was in college. Uh, I did a BBA, but I chose to do uh, media internships. I interned with Times of India, their sports desk a couple of times. And those internships were enough for me to at least realize, okay, fine, I'd, I'd really love this. Uh, I have obviously been uh, just loved sport. Uh, it's been the only constant in life growing up. Uh, so it interested me. That's how I got in. Um, as far as uh, not having the educational background, obviously, uh, was a bit of a hindrance uh, initially. Uh, but I lucked out with an internship uh, and that, uh, at CNN IBN, what is now known as CNN News 18. Uh, and it just happened to be a very right place, right time. They were a team who had uh, just seen a bit of an exodus. So lots of work, which usually does not happen, or at least doesn't happen all the time with interns. So I got an internship at a time where there was a lot of work to do. And yeah, right place, right time. That led to me getting that job. Uh, and from there, uh, yeah, it just kicked on. I spent just under three years there. Uh, had one stint at ESPN Trick and Four, which was short-lived, and then did another stint at a news network in Delhi. And after a few years of freelancing, I uh, October 2021, just before the T20 World Cup, is uh, when I got my go at ESPN Trick Info, and I've been here since. That's awesome. Um, firstly, I'll say you were definitely not, you know, uh, you were among the majority of college kids who did not know where to go. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I joined you there. Uh, but but yeah, I think the other piece that I was curious about is obviously you're doing videos uh, for ESP Crick and for today. Um, that was also a transition, right? I believe you were initially doing more stories and writing. Uh, so the, the two TV networks that I mentioned, uh, those were obviously video first platforms where uh, with the passage of time, I did start doing on-air work. Uh, started with some reporting at, while I was at CNN and IBN. And when I was at Vion a few years later, that's when I started presenting for the first time. Um, so through the 
Champions Trophy of 2017 and the Football World Cup of 2018 uh, was were my first major tournaments uh, in front of camera. Uh, and after that, yes, there were there there was a break. My freelance period from 2019 to 21 was primarily writing roles. Um, but then I came to Trick and Four, uh, which too initially was a short form content writing role. Uh, but uh, it's allowed me the chance to grow into something more and i've been back in front of the camera uh, a lot more this year no that's awesome that's awesome yeah so i, I think i've i've followed you for like last maybe couple of years so i had seen the writing piece and not as much the video piece until you know trick info happened so uh but that's that's great to see um that you're getting to you know sort of enjoy both aspects of it have had a chance to try that with a number of places so that's that's awesome um Let's jump into it. Uh, so our conversation topic for today is ODI cricket. And I feel like everybody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's something that's been in the focus, not just because of the World Cup, but because just things have changed so much in the last decade or so. Um, yeah. So, you know, in the last 15 years, we've had multiple rule changes. So uh, there were two new balls that were added, uh, which is different from changing the ball in the 34th over, which is how it used to be. Um, then there's been multiple power play rule changes. Um, and while many of these seem to make sense to me, you know, they're trying to balance out whether the, the game between the bowlers and the batters. One thing that is probably true is today there's a lot of fans who, you know, watch the game. They may not know every rule, but it has certainly created some sense of confusion, um, do you think there's like and and you know I don't think we need to know every single rule to follow the game, but but nonetheless, do you think that has also all these changes have also added to sort of the lack of popularity of ODI cricket? Yeah, I think cricket is uh, one of the most peculiar sports in the world uh, in that regard because it's it starts off as a complicated sport and then it just keeps finding a way to make itself more and more complicated. I think it's gone to the degree where the casual watcher doesn't doesn't actually even bother knowing what the power play restrictions are. And it's more like, okay, fine, you know what? I will just watch it and maybe during while the commentary is on or if I'm listening to radio or following a blog somewhere, I will find out. I will piece it together. Uh, yeah, so from, from the perspective of uh, appealing to a wider audience, uh, none of this helps. And uh, in general, too, even if you look at it from, you know, a more uh, from the perspective of people who follow it a lot more closely, so many of these changes, you do feel like, you know, you just forced a particular kind of balance to the game. I mean, I felt ODI cricket was at its best. So, I mean, without revealing any age here, um, been watching since the late 90s and it was a compelling format to follow. I mean, I get that it was always going to be challenging a few years after that. Once T20s entered and once the World Cup and the IPL happened, it was always going to be a challenge uh, keeping up with that format. But but still, ODIs of, you know, let's say even the early 2010s, like the 2011 World Cup was a riveting one and not just for the reason that India won it. You can still look back at the 2011 World Cup, and right now I'm just thinking at the top of my head. There are so many memorable matches you can you can think of. I mean, let let's forget India's campaign, which is easier for us to recall because of yeah. how many times it's been replayed. But 
you know the the south africa new zealand quarter final pakistan new zealand in the group stage it's it's an in it's a group stage game which i mean how many do we remember from 2019 right uh but 2011 i can still piece together what had happened in the group stage i i just feel like to me of all the changes you mentioned the the two balls is the biggest problem uh because that element of reverse swing in odi cricket was such an appeal i mean you know for us when when we were growing up the early cricket that we watched so much of it was you know the likes of wakar and wasim doing what they could uh, even closer home someone like ajit agarkar what he could do uh, with a reverse swinging ball and just losing that factor from odis for me personally has been one of the biggest things that i miss about odis that's yeah that's an interesting point and i i was thinking about the time when they had launched uh, the two new balls which i believe was right after or right before the 2013 champions trophy and i remember people saying hey it's in england there's two new balls there's no way an asian team is going to win and we all know what happened <laughs> but but more interestingly what uh, some of the more recent analysis that has been shown is actually even though it has not been you know to your point it has not helped uh, reverse swing it has helped spinners to some extent with the harder ball they're able to turn so there's some data according to that but anyways we're we're going on a sidebar on on you know two new balls specifically but i think the other piece that you mentioned is pretty important uh, important as well so um uh, you know i i play club cricket here in chicago and i have a lot of young uh, uh, indian americans who play with me uh, many of them are 18 20 and they've even though they're 20 year old they've played more cricket and more games than i i have in uh, you know 10 years being older than them and what i realized in one of the conversations i had with them recently we saw in the asia cup sri lanka do uh, try to do the uh, situation where the striker you know, the non striker wanted to be on strike and they made sure the striker stayed in crease until uh, mm. you know the non striker got there that switch which was very very nicely done very smartly done when i mentioned it to them none of them knew about it and they were like oh that is so smart and i was i was very surprised when i got that reaction because one sure i have seen a lot more cricket than they have but they've constantly played these games and yet these people are not aware of rule changes and this is people who play the game very passionately so i can only imagine what the case is for the casual fans so i think i think that's uh, very much true i think yes you try to sort of piece it together just with the information that you know and what doesn't help and you know even from this is almost at the i'm taking a risk with my own profession but uh, a lot of times even us you think that okay you're working in this field you know it inside out but what also happens is that different tournaments have different rules right like the ipl has the wide and no ball review which international cricket doesn't uh, you'd have some change here some change there and you're following all these tournaments each of which is so long at times cumbersome uh, yeah. so a new tournament comes in you invariably at some point during a tournament you have to go to that tournament's playing conditions to figure out oh, okay this is what's happening here of course playing conditions is a topic we should not delve into a lot more right at the end of this asia cup <laughs> yeah no doubt about that um yeah it's it's that's very true i i uh, i remember long back i used to have the mcc playing conditions uh uh pdf on my desktop just because i was you know i think it was something came up in 2011 12 and i was like oh i should just probably have a copy so that i know what's what the rules are 
And in spite of having the copy referring to it a number of times, I could never remember every single detail. And then to your point, there was always, you know, some some specific tournament that would have some separate rule. Um, but anyways, uh, moving past that, the other pieces also from an ODI cricket perspective that a number of tournaments, just the structure around the game has changed quite a bit. So we used to have the Champions Trophy, which happened out until 2017. Um, then we had multi-nation tournaments. Uh, you know, Australia would host, let's say, New Zealand and India, uh, which I, I found pretty fun. And obviously there's some financial understanding of why that did not work out because if the home team wasn't playing, it wasn't easy to sell tickets, yeah. things like that. Um, but then there was also this ODI Super League, which, you know, just from the idea was a fan- fantastic idea because, hey, somebody like Netherlands, uh, Ireland, all these countries would get 20-odd games every year with the top sides in, in the world, which is, you know, fantastic ex- exposure for them. And now we're hearing that is likely going to be scrapped. I, I think we heard some indecisiveness around that, but likely it's going to be scrapped after uh, now that this World Cup, uh, um, you know, the qualification for this World Cup is done. So I think that also adds to it. So, you know, just from a point of keeping things consistent, I don't think cricket is doing a great job. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, completely agree. Because uh, th- there was, I mean, let's take the example of the Super League. Conceptually, yes, it allows for that, as does, you know, the World Test Championship. But now what actually ends up happening, that you know that the, the matches are quite concentrated in a three-way route. Uh, I think I was running up some numbers, uh, what was it, a few months ago and just found out that in 2021 onwards, in like a two and a half, three year period, India, Australia and England have pretty much accounted for more than one third of the cricket that's been played among the top 10 teams. How often mm-hmm. the Super League as a concept is great, but if India... If India's bilaterals are largely going to be England and Australia, and then a few Sri Lanka, West Indies thrown in, when did you see an India-Netherlands? When did you see an Australia-Afghanistan? When did we see... Uh, I mean, fine, England-Ireland happens a lot of times because I guess it's right. just convenient. But yep. but you get the larger point. Uh, it's mm-hmm. You don't really see the teams below number 9 and 10 actually playing the teams which are part of the top six. Forget that. India-South Africa, which throughout our existence has been a high-profile contest. The last time India were in South Africa, they played a three-match ODI series. Uh, This year, end of this year, India will go to South Africa to play two test matches. I mean, that's one of the marquee test series, you know, from uh, an Indian standpoint, a South African standpoint. So, this this changing, uh, I mean, can't even call it a changing dynamic. It's, we've known that it's existed for the best part of a decade. And I think that's what, when we actually talk about the sport growing, that is one of the biggest hindrances. The problem is that you can't exactly put the fault at those people either, because there is no denying uh, that there are business measures that have to be taken care of as well. So it invariably ends up becoming a chicken and egg situation. Do you? Right. Do you do this to get the finances or do you want to grow the sport at the risk of finances? Uh, and thanks to all of that, we find ourselves in this great sport of ours in as complicated a uh, passage it finds itself in. And, and I completely agree about the chicken and egg problem. The one, one thing I will say, though, is 
at least in my observation, the English and Australian cricket boards in particular uh, have done a really good job of saving uh, what they consist, consider important. Like, and, and again, this is the Ashes, for example. They're very consistent, no matter what else is going on in the world, in, in world of cricket, that every 18 months that happens. Yeah. And then it's also at the same venue. So there's a sense of history. You know, there's a sense of um, marketing that goes with it, for the lack of a better word, which helps make sure that anytime a game happens, whether it's in Australia, whether it's in England, it goes, there's full houses. And again, I completely get that those are two of the better equipped boards. So it is a little bit easier for them. It wouldn't be as easy if, you know, Pakistan and West Indies had such a rivalry to, to continue that. Um, but but I think that aspect, and, and I think somebody on Twitter mentioned this, uh, that India have not played Australia in a test match. And I know we're diverting away from ODIs, but uh, just a thought about traditions and just sort of keeping up is India and Australia have not played a test match at Kolkata since the 2001, uh, yeah. uh, you know, the epic test match. So that, that just kind of shows that, you know, there's just not enough like thought process around it. Yeah, that, I mean, since we are on that, that is a major thing. I, th- I think Virat Kohli had mentioned during his captaincy years that it would be great if India had fixed centres for Test cricket, the way it is in England, the way it is in Australia. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you you mentioned Eden Gardens, hadn't seen in, in, in the Australia Test since 2001. I think even Wankhede, after 2001, which hosted the first Test of that series, I think the only India-Australia test over there was the one in 2004, the one that ended in two and a half days with Michael Clark six right. for nine. Uh, so, I mean, these are your two most iconic venues. I mean, you think Indian cricket grounds and you think Wankhede Stadium and Eden Gardens and yet the most high-profile test series that you've played in the last 20 years, you don't play it. So, the, the whole rotation of uh, venues in India uh, is another problem. But I guess that's that's us digressing a bit much from what we discussed. Yes. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Um, the other piece, and, and we've already hinted on this, is obviously the advent of T20 cricket. So from a statistics perspective, ODIs between uh, or involving the top eight teams between 2011 and 2015, there were 380 of these. Between the next two World Cups, 372, so not a sizable decrease. But then that number until this World Cup is going to be just 242, and that includes the upcoming series that India has with Australia. Um so obviously, like T20 has played a big part. Franchise cricket has played a big part. I don't think any of us can deny that. And there's also the aspect that it can help grow the game, which is absolutely an important piece. But um, from all measures, it's pretty clear that ODIs are still financially profitable. You know, it's not the same as having a test series between West Indies and Sri Lanka. And I'm just picking on them, but... Um, but, you know, any two non-major three teams playing a test series today is not as profitable. It's not making as much money. That's just the truth of how it's, how it's set up right now. Um, and yet it seems like ODIs, like in spite of being financially profitable in general, have been sort of deprioritized. Um, what do you think, like too much cricket is part of it? What are sort of the other things that are, you know, going into this? I think the simplest reason is it is the lost format because it finds itself sandwiched. Call it the middle child syndrome, call it whatever, uh, because it's neither thing. It goes at a pace which is now almost similar to test cricket. I mean, I know it's different. I know from a cricketing standpoint, it's different. But if you're thinking of 
the common viewer, you have to view it as the amount of time you have to give to the sport in the day. And an ODI still requires eight hours and longer. In this yeah. Asia Cup, we saw games that well went on for 10, 10 and a half hours with all the rain breaks. There was Pakistan and Sri Lanka, wasn't it, which finished at 1.07 a.m., a game that began at uh, 3 p.m. the day before that. Uh, so that does not help ODIs at all. I, If you generally see the kind of uh, the attendance, the crowds coming in as well, it doesn't point uh, in a great light. I mean, India were in West Indies, right, just, just some months back, which regardless of what the difference is between the teams, regardless of which setup India decide to send, you'd usually think an India game in the West Indies will see crowds, but there weren't there weren't many people watching those ODIs. Uh, the biggest reason behind it is obviously that you now know that, okay, if I, if I have to watch uh, a game that's not a test match, there is the option of this other format which actually finishes in four hours. Uh, and as a result, the ODIs, it, it has it has become a stretch for most people I talked to who I know were thoroughly engaged in ODI cricket till not so long ago. Now just, you know, just say that, yeah, I can't, I can't picture myself. And I talk to my friends, they say, yeah, we can't picture ourselves actually watching entire games during the World Cup. You've got used to a shorter format and this format doesn't help itself. Having said that, in this particular cycle with uh, regards to... Uh, the volume of cricket played. Uh, while this is a contributing factor, I think we also have to acknowledge that you had two T20 World Cups. This was a very unique ODI World Cup cycle in that sense, in that uh, you, you also have to budget for the six months that were lost in 2020 with no cricket. And then after that, when you came back, it was all about making up for lost time while knowing that there are two T20 World Cups pretty much, you know, in back-to-back years. There was just a year between those two World Cups, which also meant that then, even in terms of your preparations, you want to be playing more T20 cricket. So that does have a bit to do with these numbers. But still, there is even within that, there are such skews, right? Like at the start of the Asia Cup, we were just going through who's done what in this cycle, this ODI World Cup cycle. And before the Asia Cup, I think India were on 65 ODIs, which is by far the lowest for India in any World Cup cycle in the 21st century. Uh, But start comparing it with some of the other teams that will play this World Cup. And I'm not talking any team. Pakistan is also a high-profile team. Pakistan coming into this Asia Cup had played 29 men's ODIs in this World Cup cycle. So, uh, so, you know, it's just... It's not just that the volume of cricket is low. The skew is also strange. Within those 29, I think... uh, there would have been six against Afghanistan, three against Netherlands. Uh, they've hardly played cricket. I mean, this Asia Cup, every Pakistan game, uh, you felt like when you were looking up, running up the numbers, you would find that they are playing this team for the first time since the 2019 World Cup. They played India for the first time since the 2019 World Cup. They played Sri Lanka. They played Bangladesh for the first time since the 2019 World Cup. Wow. So there's... Uh, yeah, so so it is it is a strange place. I get... I mean, I guess I'm just repeating the same point, but I get it. Teams are not seeing the value of ODI series. Uh, I mean, even India-South Africa, right? We mentioned earlier that India had only played three games that year in Jan 2022. Uh, you, you feel like financially the value of five T20Is as opposed to five ODIs 
just appeals a lot more uh, to all to all parts of the cycle to the broadcasters to the sponsors coming in uh, and even most importantly to the fans yeah no that that's a fair point um and yeah those numbers are really interesting i had not noticed that um the other question is i guess is is too much cricket a worry because i know today we have a situation where and obviously we can't say that for every team but you know india for example can field two teams um occasionally they've done three as well which um, which is probably not going to be a commonplace thing but um you know they've fielded two teams i know australia in the 90s used to have an australia a b which were really solid um so we've seen things like that in the past and my my question is i guess is there a need to maybe just use odis as um sort of if we we are agreeing that this is a lesser important product then maybe use that to just give chances to you know the yashasvi jaiswals or whoever the next in line is essentially use that way um so that we can continue having odis um not prioritize our key players keep them fresh and still manage that too much cricket importance um obviously the product will dilute a little bit if your key players are not playing the sponsors will not pay as much i i understand all of that but but nonetheless we're able to you know salvage a format uh which has been around for a long time um thoughts on that i feel like the attempt has already been made i feel like we're already done that route because uh through those two years with the back to back t20 world cups if you look at most indian odi squads they were they were your next rung of players uh you very rarely had uh, i think i think we went nearly 3 years uh without an odi where rohit kohli bumrah were playing together now i know there are injuries in there as well but just in general india through the odi is like all of last year while the t20 crew was preparing itself for the world cup you had shikhar dhawan leading the next bunch of players in the ODIs there were the right. there was the series at home against south africa right before the t20 world cup uh that unit even went to sri lanka i believe yeah sri lanka was the original in 2021 where yep. india had two teams playing at the same time the right. core group was in england for the test series right. and you had the shikhar dhawan led side which yes. was in sri lanka for the white ball and <clears throat> and you saw that i mean there was that a similar team that went to zimbabwe last year a series that's hard to remember unless you go decide to go through for an exercise such as this one that you call me on uh, okay what odi has happened in the last year <laughs> uh, but but no so the problem there is india can afford to do that india do have that uh, just that wealth of players who are of a decent international standard Uh, to some degree australia and england can do that you you see that with england england do have a vastly different white ball and red ball setup and within the white ball there's a much bigger crew of players and so there can right. be a lot of chopping and changing uh but that's where the other teams uh, can't really can't really compete at the same level right i don't think if you look at most other teams barring india england and australia to an extent i don't think you can say that there are 35 international cricket ready players and yeah. and again there there's a bit of a chicken and egg in this as well that even if let's say that all teams do have a decent enough a side and those a sides become your odi squads that again dilutes the interest of the game because as a viewer 
why am I going to watch a format which anyway to me feels a little long drawn, which consumes more than half my day, and I'm not even seeing my favorite stars playing. Like I'd watch as as a as a fan, as a viewer, you would watch a couple of games out of interest. But right. for how long? We have also reached, I guess, one part of it which doesn't get discussed as much while we discuss all these issues about all the formats is also that I feel like sport cricket has become a little individual driven in in recent years, uh, in the last decade, especially uh, in the subcontinent, I'd say more so than uh, than for the likes of Australia and England, where, you know, a lot of viewership uh, depends on whether the star, the star players are there or not. That's a great point. Um, I had not thought of that, although, you know, I, I, to your point, I see on social media, I see on uh, news outlets outraging about, I don't know, Kohli getting rested because he won't reach 100 hundreds or something like that, uh, all that kind of stuff all the time. And you're right, it, it does true that it has become, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are just trying to watch their favorites um, as part of the Indian team. Obviously, they're supporting the Indian team, but their primary goal is not the Indian team. And that's definitely a change from when I think you and I were growing up where yeah. obviously we had our favorites, we we loved watching them, and we would be disappointed if they got dropped or injured or something like that. But at the end of the day, um, we were still watching for the Indian team. And I think that dilution and just the, I guess, the brand of uh, or the following, I don't know what how to call it, but that also has a an impact and I think it's, it's important to call out. Um, I, I know we've talked a lot about different aspects of ODIs, but and this one is a pretty open-ended question. So um, let's say you have all the powers in your hands. Um, you're part of the ICC committee. You're, you, know, um, you have the option to suggest some key structural changes to cricket, whether it's the cricket calendar, whether it's rules of ODI cricket. Um, how do you do that if you wanted to, you know, uh, or do you even do that? Do you say, nope, I think we're past ODI cricket, we move on. Um, and if you do try to save it, how does the ODI World Cup feature in, in those plans? I, I think uh, you've alluded to what my realistic answer would be, that I'd put my hands up and accept that it's a format that's mm. gone beyond us. Um the only reason why there is this is tricky is because your flagship competition happens to be played in that format. Uh, right. The oldest, uh, I mean, the biggest tournament in the sport still is the ODI World Cup. But for how long? I, I feel like uh, this upcoming World Cup might give us a sign because if an ODI World Cup comes and goes with interest still waning, right? Like we, we spoken throughout this uh, podcast about how much the interest has fallen. I think if you continue seeing anything similar at the World Cup, I mean, I'm sure the India games will be watched, the knockouts will be watched, but right. if you do see a significant enough climb down in viewership and attendance numbers of other World Cup games, that in itself will be a sign that while it may have been your flagship event, it is now in real danger. The fact that you now have the T20 World Cup on a two-year cycle already shows that even the powers that be have understood where the interest and where the future of this game lies. 
having grown up and I, I guess the only factor holding us back onto ODIs is nostalgia. It is the format, uh, you know, our generation grew up on. Uh, yeah. Because fine tests had been like this. ODIs are, uh, in that sense, special to the 80s and 90s kids. Because that's when ODI cricket was booming. It became a thing. It became huge. Right. Uh, so I think we're still holding on to that nostalgia when we say, even I'm thinking, as you ask me, you know, I want to find ways. I love it when ex-cricketers come and talk about how, you know, what format could could work. I think Sachin Tendulkar has mentioned a few times that maybe we should have two innings ODIs, like break it into blocks of 25. Uh, but that's essentially playing T20 cricket. I like I like the fact that these thoughts are out there. I definitely feel 50 overs is a bit much. So even if it has to survive, I feel like you might have to look at 40 overs. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm only holding on to nostalgia when I try to find ways of keeping ODIs alive. That's that's a great point. I, I, I mean, I'm with you. I 100% feel that way. To me, like ODI, especially watching in the stadiums, I love watching games in the stadiums. I think ODIs are the best format to watch in a stadium. Um, and I, I think majority of people will disagree with me. But my yeah, reason behind that is... You don't watch ODI cricket in stadiums in India, do you? Uh, that is true. That is, that is <laughs> a good point. Yes. It is a different experience watching it in England or in Australia because there's a lot more you can do. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Oh, we can we can talk about fan experience for sure. Um, but it's it's true. All my uh, my family, my in laws, everybody knows them. You know, I love watching cricket live, and they were all surprised that I'm not making my way to India for the World Cup. And I said, I'm 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 actually you refer to the series as the India South Africa series at the end of the year. I'm actually going there. I planned that instead because I was like, um, I don't really see myself going to India and managing all the tickets, all of that hassle. Rather than that, I, I would watch in you know another place like the Caribbean, England, South Africa, which have given generally a much better experience. Um, Good decision. <laughs> but uh, but going back, I think the the other aspect of it is uh, in general. I, I used to always think ODIs are the most fun to watch because Test cricket, especially you know outside of maybe England and Australia, the crowd yeah. can be uh, hit or miss. So you might have you know a decent crowd who are interested. You might have a crowd who are just there to take selfies and, you know, not really interested in the game or empty stands, even worse. Um, ODIs generally, because you're there for eight hours, you end up bonding with the people around you. You end up, you know, th- there's a lot more time to do that rather than just watching T20 cricket, which is which goes by pretty quickly. So that's what I've felt about ODIs. And, and you hit my next question. My next question is going to be, it's ODI World Cup has been the most prestigious tournament in the world. Uh, in, in the sport and uh, obviously all these things whether it's reduction to 10 teams cancellation of the Super League then the introduction of the World uh, Test Championship uh, it, it makes it unclear what the f- future is so I think you're right that this World Cup and potentially the 2027 which has already been announced um, although for all we know they could probably say no to that um, those two will decide sort of the future of the ODI World Cup and the format itself. Um, but having said that, let's let's assume we we go down the practical route and we say, listen, that this is not making money. This is not, you know, uh, working out. What do you see as the new, uh, you know, marquee tournament in cricket? With, and I think the challenge there, you know, I want to say the World Test Championship, but the challenge there is so few countries play that. 
and yeah. and that's why i'm scratching my head around it yeah i think it's hard to have a definitive answer at the moment uh the safest guess would be the t20 world cup because that is the only format which has uh, the ability to lure newer audiences newer markets uh but for this to become a reality where that is the flagship tournament in the sport i think in the next couple of years become of great interest uh you will see and you will see cricket at the asian games very soon uh in fact i mean it's already started at the time of right. us recording this uh this might be low key because it's asian games uh but if cricket were to make it uh you know we saw women's cricket at the commonwealth games that had interest mm-hmm. uh if cricket is to make it to the olympics for 2028 which is still somewhere in the future but within what exists in the sport already i think the next t20 world cup is an important marker because you're getting a t20 world cup with 20 teams we have not seen a cricket world cup with anything more than 16 teams ever and even the one with the 16 teams happened only once because that one time india and pakistan didn't make it beyond right. uh, and it and that format never continued actually maybe the first few t20 world cups might have been 16 team events were they no india right. pakistan scotland was the group stage so it was right. four groups of 3 so 12 so yeah you've never seen a world cup beyond 16 the 2020 world cup actually having uh, the 2024 t20 world cup actually having 20 teams uh that that is that is potentially a first step like we have to hope that that tournament clicks that there are upsets which are important for a tournament uh, yeah. but there aren't upsets to the extent that you know your big teams don't make it because when big teams don't make it to subsequent rounds that automatically means formats are changed uh, so right. we've got to hope for an ideal sort of world cup that way and if that happens that is then a good sample because you finally have a world cup with an acceptable number of teams 10 is just shocking for any right. sport even as non global a sport as cricket uh yeah. so 20 is at least a good number and for that number in an engaging format for t20 cricket uh that could that could be a shifting of marker uh so to say and odis i feel like they have penciled in i mean at least on paper we do have the hosts up until 2031 with the 2031 world cup scheduled to be held uh, co-hosted by india and bangladesh uh, right. so i feel like that might be where it ends because that has already been announced right uh, it's it's also interesting that the world test championship you know i feel like uh, when when it started the first time around people were still figuring out you know what what that means uh, and all of that but the second time india made it they were in the finals and there were a lot of expectations um all of that um i feel like that is definitely starting to gain popularity i think the mm-hmm. key piece that's missing in my mind is they used to have um I believe they call it the intercontinental cup which was sort of a qualification of sorts that is how mm-hmm. ireland and afghanistan became test teams and they just grabbed that so i think wtc has that potential assuming we bring that intercontinental cup back and and then also find a way to make test cricket more you know productive so i don't know if that's four day test cricket i don't know if that's day night test cricket obviously that's a big change from you know keeping with the, up with the traditions as we were talking about a few minutes ago but um just just something that i i think that is possible if 
the ICC really wanted to explore and, and you know, challenge the status quo. Yeah, I feel like in test cricket, uh, realistically, I mean, again, lots of ideas keep coming. You hear ex-cricketers, current cricketers at times talk about what it could be. The one that struck the most to me, the one that stood out the most to me is one that uh, Ravi Shastri shared last year where he said that introduced to, and I know there are others who said it as well, uh, have two tiers in international test cricket. In any case, the World Test Championship just serves to portray that there are 10 teams that play each other. Essentially, the cycle only sees, you know who India play, you know who Australia play, right. you know who England play. They just fit in one team out of the others and uh, make it happen. We know that the 10 teams don't play each other. So, let's let's give up on the, on the act. Let's keep it to... And there is also in Test Cricket, I also see the validity that in that there is, I feel, a greater gulf in Test Cricket between your top three, four sides and even teams which are eight, nine and ten. Like, I mean, at the moment where an Afghanistan or even a West Indies to a degree, although West Indies, I know right. they've been doing being, doing all right at home. But yeah. even your eight, nine, ten versus the top three, uh, it feels like too much of a gulf. So in Test Cricket, if, I mean, since we are thinking of ideas that, you know, uh, yeah. without any controlling us, uh, I feel like that tiered system might work where you have a top six uh, and you have the way it works in uh, football leagues, you know, with a relegation and a promotion. So there's something on the line. Uh, good luck deciding who is number seven and eight <laughs> and who misses out in the first lot of six. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I feel like the first time this two-tier concept got uh, uh, talked about was in the 2012-13 period. And India had just come off like a 0-8 beating and they were you know, <laughs> at number six or seven. So um, we know why it did not fly. But <laughs> um, but nonetheless, definitely interesting to see where you know cricket goes, where ODI cricket goes and uh, how you know, Test Cricket and, and T20 World Cups play a part in that. But um, uh, Yash, thank you so much for joining me and uh, appreciate your thoughts. Really been uh, an interesting conversation. Uh, I'm sure we'll have more to discuss in, in upcoming years, but uh, even if not for this topic, we do hope you come back and uh, talk about something else uh, cr cricket related. And um, and yeah, looking forward to that conversation. Oh, I'd love to be back, man. I mean, uh, as far as topics go, you've thrown me the most challenging one as my first <laughs> uh, visit to your show. So whatever you throw at me after this. Because, I mean, there have been times when uh, even entire ODI matches uh, I've not been able to speak or have shows that last as long. So to be able to speak on ODIs for this long, now I'm confident. Come at me with whatever you have to, whenever you want to. Awesome. All right. Thank you for your time again. And um, we'll be in touch. Thank you for listening to an episode of The Last Wicket. Do check out other episodes on your podcast app of choice or at thelastwicket.com. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts, Benny and Mike. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate and subscribe on your platform of choice, follow us on your social media feeds, and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening. And from all of us here at the last wicket, stay safe, stay healthy.